You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Today's scripture will be from Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. After he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to the father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for him the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also had borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buz, his brother, Kimuel, the father of Aram, Chazed, Hazo, Pildash, Jildath, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rimah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makah. Thank you, Annalise. You can have a seat. So if you know me a little bit, I love, probably maybe some days to an unhealthy degree, I love watching TV shows. Um, I, not on the TV anymore. I don't think anyone does that, but through uh, different <laughs> streaming devices. I love just watching particularly dramas, just following the path. Uh, here's the thing that happened during pandemic, though. I started, along with watching TV in general, I started really enjoying Korean dramas. Um, which is a weird thing for me because I'm Korean-American, but I grew up thinking they so hokey because I remember when I was a kid, they were hokey. They were kind of corny and cheesy and, and just, it, it was weird, but I started watching during pandemic. I was like, yo, 
There have been dramatic improvements in the Korean dramas. These are really good. Um, and part of what I really enjoyed is, I mean, there's a lot of episodes, and each one's like a movie. But it, you go on this long story arc. You go on this long journey with these characters who, it's kind of sad, they become like family, right? You get so invested in their lives. You follow the twists and the turns, and, and you go through ups and downs, and it finally culminates in this hopefully wrapping up of the storyline by the end. You know, you have a finale, unless they're setting you up for another season, right? But you, you have kind of a thing where it comes together again. Here's the thing as you think about it, though, is if you just focus on one, particularly mo one particular moment in one particular episode, it may not make much sense. I mean, it can be dramatic, but it may not make much sense at all, especially some of the more difficult moments. Like you might catch in one of these, and there's a lot of these, like when people are crying, a lot of crying, and they got the right music to make you cry too. You might be like, oh, this is just a giant tragedy. This is terrible. These people's life stink. And, and you might not get a full glimpse of the big picture of all that's going on because it requires the context of the longer narrative arc to understand its place for each of these moments. And in the same way today, we're wrapping up this series as we've been looking at the story of this man, Abraham. He started out, as, I mean, his name even changed, right? From Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah, and many chapters worth. And in the Bible, chapters are a long, like, stage of life, right? But you've seen this whole arc in Abraham's life as well, a lot of ups and downs, and brings us to where we are today. So let me pray for us as we look at some of the lessons God might want to impart in us through this. Lord, even as we sit here, God, uh, all of us have different arcs to our stories. And uh, the, the interesting thing in being in a community like this, we're all experiencing that at different points in one another. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to understand that, be able to give more grace, but be also be able to give you praise for how you're working, even the things that don't always make sense to us at the time, just as I'm sure it didn't make sense to Abraham. Holy Spirit, teach us through this, but more than just information, God, would you draw us closer to you in your scriptures? So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take these words and you do life work in us. Give us open hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, last week as we looked at Genesis 21, um, we saw in many ways what seemed like kind of the ending. Let me read that again from Chen uh, verse 1. It says, The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named a son who was born to him, the one Sarah born to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne a son for him in his old age. And as we said last week, this sounds like a great resolution to the story arc because you've been walking with our, our folks, Abraham and Sarah. You've been through some of the craziness of their lives. But to be able to see now, wow, the promise came true. They got this fat little baby now. This is the finale to their story arc. But we learned last week that's not the finale. 
Uh, instead, to close to their arc, to their, to their story, it does indeed contain a twist. I mean, this would make a great K-drama. I, I mean, someone need to adapt it. But as, as we heard read from Genesis 22, I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but we see the story of, you would think it was done when they had the baby, but God had more in plan. He's called to Abraham, Abraham, take this son, take this boy that you've been waiting decades for, the one that you love, the boy that you give would give anything for, take him and go to the mountain and offer him as a burnt offering sacrifice. Some of you, if this is new, you're like, what? This is some craziness. It, it get real crazy. We see that Abraham obeys God and takes his boy. And with a few others, they start traveling. And there's different questions along the way. And at a certain point at the mountain, it's just Abraham and his boy going up. And Isaac, he must be real sharp. He's a little older. He's not a baby anymore. He asks him some questions. Hey, Pops, um, I, I see a lot of the elements for a sacrifice. Where's our animal? Where's our animal? God will provide. If I were Isaac, if it was just me, I would have my book start booking the other direction. Like this dude's old and senile at this point, right? He got um, some bad intentions. Anyway, but Isaac's a good son. He's a good son. And to keep going. And, you know, he made his boy carry his own wood, right? He made him carry the altar. But Isaac's carried up, and then they lay it on, and they put Isaac on top, and Abraham's ready to sacrifice him when God intervenes through his angel, says, no, stop. I know now what your heart is. And God indeed does provide another animal. And end of story, it's great. And, and, you know, all of it goes on, and we even heard read, this was a part of God's fulfillment in the blessings through the generations that would come through Isaac. So here's, here's where I think it's helpful for us to stop for a moment. If you grew up in a Christian home, um, sometimes there's a disadvantage to hearing stories so often that you don't even think about what you're hearing. Some of, this is on the top 10 list of Christian stories. Like you had, if some of you grew up in church with felt characters, I know there was a felt character for Isaac and little goats and little altar and they all look cute and fat and stuff, right? Um, but the thing is, these stories can become so familiar to some of us that it loses some of the shock value. And personally, that's why I love reading the scriptures and learning about the Bible with people who this is new, because they do a lot of, oh, hold up, sir. What? This is your holy book? This is insanity. Seriously? This is like one of your good guys? Um, because hearing this story, maybe it's just me. It should be like, ah, whoa, 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 hold, cold, hard, stop. God told Abraham to do what? Like, God, God wouldn't do that. Or, or if God would do that, I mean, I don't know if that's a God that I trust to follow and to give my life to the way that you, you Christian folks seem to talk about. Or maybe some of us, we would say, okay, maybe God's not the problem. What's, pro what's the problem with Abraham? Maybe God was testing him so that Abraham said, oh, no, God, I ain't going to fall for that. That's craziness. You know, maybe the problem is Abraham, and maybe for some of us, we have certain impressions of religious folk, like that they get a little carried away. And, and maybe this story can reinforce sometimes some of the harm that's done in the name of religious zealotry. 
like, oh, that's Abraham, right? He got a little carried away. Uh, I think there's a few contextual things that are helpful to consider to be able to place this story in. One, I think when we look at this passage, and this is where we read scripture in light of the whole totality of scripture, God's command here, and the Bible can be complex, because his command here to Abraham, it actually seems to go against his own heart that we see in other areas of scripture. Because the God of the Bible, lest if this is the only scripture you've ever read, you might be thinking, God hates kids. I mean, he's telling pops to go sacrifice their own boys. That's, there couldn't be further from the truth. God has a very elevated view of children. Do you see that throughout the scriptures? And particularly when it came to child sacrifice, he cares so much for children. He even put certain prohibitions in his law in the ancient scriptures. For instance, Leviticus 18. This is in the law. It says, you are not to sacrifice any of your children in the fire to Molech. Do not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So God is just being very clear in case it wasn't in their like moral DNA, you do not sacrifice children, particularly to this God Molech, who is the deity for the Canaanite people. So Israelites, they were entering this new land with these new people, and this was part of that people's um, religious practice. You did sacrifice children to your God Molech. And God is saying, as my people... When you enter this new land, you don't do that. You don't do that. I'm just saying this, and there's others in the scriptures as well, just for us to be clear on the same page, that the story we're reading today in Genesis 22, it's not, just in case it's not clear, this does not line up where God is very clear in his law about distinguishing his people from those who are engaged in false worship of other gods that involves harming children. God not down for that. God's not down for that. So I think if we look at our story today, we do get a hint of maybe what is at play. If that's, if that's not what God is talking about, what is at play? Verse one tells us after these things, God tested Abraham. That God tested Abraham and test I think that seems to imply that God had a particular purpose for what he was calling to Abraham in the story here, that the purpose was not actually to end up with Isaac getting killed in sacrifice. That doesn't seem to be why God was doing this, um, but there was a deeper purpose involved. But I think it's important to say, even though God, it doesn't seem to be his purpose to kill Isaac, when we look at our boy Abraham, he seemed to be pretty committed. I mean, he seemed to be all in on this, right? And we see even, we get a glimpse into the state of mind when we look at the book of Hebrews in the New Testament that describes Abraham. Chapter 11, verse 17, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He, He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received them back, figuratively speaking. And, and this, again, we don't know everything going on in Abraham's mind, but what it does seem is Abraham was committed to offer up his son Isaac because he believed that the God who was calling to do it, 
He believed the promises were still true and he would raise Isaac from the dead. That seems to be his motive. So he wasn't thinking, I'm going to lose my son. He's like, oh no, God's, God's got this. And this is part of his plan. And you might not agree with Abraham, but we're saying that's what he did in faith. And just for a moment for us to consider that, when we talk about faith as Christians, um, some of you maybe, and maybe even some of us who've been in walking in this for a while, sometimes we think about faith of like taking jumps or, or steps with no discernible reason why. Like we even get the phrasing, right? Leap of faith. What's a leap of faith? A leap of faith means you have no clue where you're going, but you're going to have faith and you're going to do it. And I think some of us, we think about the Christian faith in that way that we are like, uh, morons. We got like no intelligence in our minds. We got no rational thinking at all, but God says do something. So we jump and he says, jump. We say, how high? Like that, that's how we think about the Christian faith. And, and I want to be clear. There, there are some elements of faith like Hebrews 11 talks about this idea of the conviction of things not seen. There are some aspects of the Christian faith. You will not know. It will not make sense. It will not be clear, like just, just in case. I don't want you to think I'm throwing for a loop here. There is a little level of feeling blind in some of the things that God might be calling to you to trust in him. But here's what I am saying. At its core, the nature of faith for the follower of Christ, it's, it's different than that. There's a different origin. Um, faith Again, not that any of you are experienced in something like this, but faith is not like going to Las Vegas and putting all your chips in, hoping that roulette wheel stop and that, like hoping and you don't have any discernible reason to believe it other than statistics, but like thinking, oh yeah, I hope, I hope, I hope this really happens. That, that's not faith for the follower of Jesus. It's not random. For, for the Christian, faith is rooted actually in the promises of God. The reason that we trust God, the reason that we follow, the reason we take things that seem to other people like a leap of faith is actually grounded in who God says he is and what he says he'll do. It's what we see with Abraham throughout this whole series so far. And I want to backtrack just a few moments from the past couple of months as we look at Abraham's larger story arc. Genesis chapter 12, right from the beginning, verse 1, when God called Abraham, when his name was Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is saying this as a done deal. God is not saying, I need the one condition is you got to go, but God is taking care of this. God is promising blessings and all of these things. He's saying, you just go because I'm laying this out for you, Abraham. Like his promises are set from the very beginning. We see it continued in Genesis 15. In verse 3, and Abraham, if you remember, at this point, he was struggling hard because it's been some years. He was struggling hard, whether maybe he misheard in places like Genesis 12, but God reiterates his promises. It says, Abraham continued, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. 
Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. God is reiterating his promises. You will be blessed. Your blessings are going to include land, but it's also going to include people. And that people will start from your very own body with your wife, Abraham. God's promises are good and trustworthy. He's putting it out there years before it actually happens. Abraham continues to doubt. Genesis 17. Then Abraham fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. So you collectively take all of these promises that God has been giving to his servant Abram through the decades, over and over, reiterating, you are the one who's going to live out my promises of blessing. It will come through land, but it'll also come through your old body. A son from your old body will be the forefather of all these descendants to the point that you're not going to be able to count them all. It's going to be that big. And he's told Abram over and over and over and over through a name change, through life circumstances, through ups and downs, through highs and lows. This is my permanent covenant promise to you. Nothing's going to shake this, Abraham. So Taking all that together, was Abraham a mindless drone when he was walking with his son up that mountain? Has he just lost his mind? Has he had enough of God? I don't think so. I think he's actually clearer in mind than he's ever been in these past couple of decades. Because I think Abraham was, he seemed to be able to obey God in this really crazy command. And if you heard the story and it sounded crazy to you, it is, because it's crazy. It's crazy. But the reason that Abraham was able to obey is not because God gave him a good explanation, at least from what we have in the scriptures, because he didn't, right? It doesn't seem like he did. But he's come to believe over these many years of the God whose promises can be trusted. The God who does what he says he will do. The God who does not waver even when Abraham is like a leaf in one of these Baltimore storms. Even when Abraham and his wife and all of his relatives and everyone going like weird, God did not waver in his promises and he actually gave him that son in his old hundred-year-old body and his wife's lovely 90-year-old body. He actually came through and gave him that son. So Abraham had come to believe that the promises came from a God whose character is good and upright and just. A God who is faithful to his own promises. Even in the face of the hardest of life's tests. So when Abraham received this command from God to sacrifice his son, I don't think it's because the the call that God gave him made sense. I think that was actually a crazy test. But all of these years had prepared Abraham to be able to say, but God, I trust him. God is good. 
God has got good character. He would not call me to do something harmful. He can be trusted. But it's a test. It's a test. And just kind of on a side note, maybe, maybe some of us are there right now too. Doesn't life sometimes feel like that? Just a lot of tests. A lot of tests in your decisions, your character, moral decisions, future choice, all, all these different things. It's like many of us are going through tests in our journeys. Sometimes the tests feel like a lot of suffering. And I, I do think it's helpful to distinguish between temptations and tests, because sometimes we use those synonymously, but temptations I would describe as more coming from within us, like our desires within us that, that maybe the enemy uses to bring out the worst in us, to try to get us to fall to temptation. Tests, on the other hand, I don't think are, are bad things. Maybe we can call them trials, but we would say the tests come from God. And there's a special purpose to fulfill and to be used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us as we would grow through some of these different tests that God puts before us. Uh, again, maybe this is new to you. If it is, don't run. It's all part of it. But if you're a follower of God, it's natural to expect that you're going to have some tests in your life. You're going to go through some tests. And if anyone sold you on a bill of goods saying, hey, become a Christian because it's going to make everything real easy. You're never going to struggle anymore. Yo, get a refund that, John, because they just lied to you, right? You will have tests. You will have struggles. And, and I mean, this really goes against kind of our larger cultural notion of God, which says that his purpose is to make your life more comfortable or to give you everything you want. Um, and, and I want to be clear, there's, there's very much like a, a wonderful truth that God will lead you into a deeper joy than you can ever imagine embodying. There is a supernatural joy that supersedes even your emotions, even your circumstances, even your deepest suffering. There's a joy that you can hold on to that's there, whether hell or high water, that's there because of who God is. I'm not diminishing that at all. But we also have to recognize that God's greater purpose is his own glory. And God is glorified as we, each of us, increasingly grow more and more in his image. That God receives glory when you and I, our lives become more and more reflective of this God. And guys, I would suggest that we, we need to see through those kinds of eyes to view the moments of the arc of our life. All of the different moments along our arc, even the really hard ones. Even like episode nine, when everything seems to go really bad, if your life is a K-drama, that's usually what happens, episode nine, right? It goes really bad. Like even those moments when some of you, you've wanted to throw it all away. Some of you have gone through breaking of body, breaking of relationships, hardship. You've gone through financial calamity. You've gone through mental breakdown. You've gone through hard things. And at those moments, you've been saying, is this the arc of my whole life? Is it defined by this moment? And what I would suggest is actually maybe that's one of those tests that God is using in your life. Because 
Even though the nature of each of our tests will look different, even in a room like this, the goal is the same, to show maybe what's going on in our lives and who do we believe God to be. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, it's just, I'm, maybe it's spring break and stuff, but I'm thinking about vacations. And when our family goes on vacation, sometimes we'll go somewhere where we just get a bunch of big load of food and we'll go to like a Costco and we'll get a whole bunch of Hot Pockets or something. I remember once vacation, we got like that Costco brand or like Costco version, which is a big box and there's no like names on it. It's just a bunch of plastic with these little Hot Pockets. If you don't know what a Hot Pocket is, I just, I don't know how you're raised, son. I, I feel kind of bad for you, but like I find great delight in Hot Pockets. Anyway... <laughs> All I remember is that freezer being full of these Hot Pockets in their own little wrappers. But we had no clue because it's a variety pack. All you got to know is you put it in the oven, beep, 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 hit. And you don't know until you go too long and stuff starts oozing out of it. You're like, oh, that's the pepperoni and cheese one. I was really hoping it was the meatball, but it's okay. Basically, you don't know what's in the inside of those until you get some heat on it, some pressure that boils up the inside for that to come out. And you're like, oh, that's what's on the inside. Oh, I didn't see it until some of this fire, until some of this heat. And I would suggest in the same way, some of the ways that tests work in our life is like you a hot pocket. <laughs> and the tests are like that microwave oven and you just spinning around on that thing. It's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Life pressing on you. What do you see come out? Oh, that's, that's what's really there. Oh, that's not the stuff that I see when everything's comfortable. When everything's comfortable, man, they ask me to be like a deacon at the church because they think I'm the holiest person in this zone, right? But oh, when life's pressing on me like that, when it's starting to get a little hot, when I like a s'more on top of that fire, and I start bubbling up inside a little bit like a marshmallow. Oh, I'm seeing what's there. Because tests will reveal more about who you are than normal life will. Maybe it will reveal areas where we still trust ourselves more than we trust God. Because it's really easy to say we trust God when we're still in control of our lives, when everything's going the way it should. But man, when you feel like things are out of your control, you are face to face with realizing I am not God. And there are some things way out of my control here and that's hard to process. That's really difficult. In kind of holy moly language, we would say that reveals your idols. That's, that would reveal areas where, put another way, you're still trying to be your own God. Tests reveal that better than anything. Where are you still trying to be your own functional God in your life? And we see this with Abraham throughout his ark, right? Many times we saw Abraham fall into some really hard situations. You know when it usually happened? When he tried to manipulate situations to work out the way he thought they would needed to. Like when he tried to be God, even though he had God's promises, Abraham tried to work out the situations. Ah, yeah, God has said I should have a son. I think it's got to be through this woman. It can't be through my wife, Sarah, as much as I love her because she's too old. This is not going to happen. It must be here. And God was continually trying to remind him, no, here's my promises. You stop trying to be God. Because look at Abraham in Genesis 22. He's obeying. He's doing what even seems like craziness to you and me. Part of it is because I think he's gotten to a point in his life where he's learned that God's promises are good, but he he also has nothing to do but to depend on God's provision. He's got nothing else. 
He's learned to trust that God will provide exactly what he and his family needs at the right time, even if that timing is off of what he thought it would be. Like with Abraham, we also see the test, they mold our character. I love this one Helen Keller quote where it says, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through the experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Basically to say we grow in our character through tests. Tests grow us in maturity. And again, just like with Abraham, we need to understand the big purpose of our life. Abraham was going to be blessed, but it was also for him to be a blessing. And for Abraham, he was going to be God's representative to the larger world that God wanted to show his favor to, but it was going to come through Abraham in his life. So Abraham, his whole life in many ways, was getting him ready to be God's portfolio to show to the world. In the same way, if you look at your tests as a refining process, you are also a portfolio for God. You might not look at it. You might see drips all over you, and you might see like coloring outside the lines, but your life is a beautiful portrait. God doesn't make mistakes. He's chosen you, and part of the reason he's chosen you is to bless you, but part of the reason he's also chosen you is he's saying, I want to show the world how great I am, and you know how I'm going to do it? I'm going to be through transforming each one of these little boys' and girls' lives. Your life puts God on display, and part of what's going to hone you in that are your tests, are your trials to help you to grow to be more and more increasingly showing the image of God. So tests, they also hone our character. But here's some good news. I mean, this is all good news, but here's particularly good news for me, at least. I think we also need to keep in mind that I don't think God will test us beyond what you can handle. I don't know if he will test you beyond what you can handle. That doesn't mean that you're able to take care of everything. That's not what I'm saying. But God loves you. He's not looking to punish you. I think Abraham, what God was calling him to do here, it had to happen in chapter 22. Abraham probably would not have replied and responded very well in his early days. He would have probably tried to find a way around it. He would have done something to try to manipulate the situation. He would have told someone, yo, dress up like Isaac because I'm going to take you up here and pretend to be Isaac. He would have done something whack and crazy like he's done throughout. But by Genesis 22, he has grown in his maturity. He's grown in his relationship with God. He trusts God. And because of that, his journey of growth and dependence, he now believes in this God who can work miracles, including giving him the son in the first place. So if God can do that, why would I doubt that God won't do whatever he says? He trusts him, but it was in the right time in his life. So guys, all to say as we, as we think about that for us here, at, at different moments, and maybe some of you are there right now, God will allow you to experience tests and trials in your life for the sake of his relation with you. And that might sound like a really hard word to receive, but it, it's, I think it's what happens. And if I can ask you, how have you been tempted to view God in those times when you're going through the fire, when your feet are right on those flames, when everything around you seems to be breaking? It's not going the way that with your 50-year life plan. How have you been tempted to respond to God or see him in those times? 
maybe another way we can think about how, how do you worship a God who seems to be crushing you or at the very least allows your life to seemingly be crushed? How do you worship a God like that? I've had to run through that a lot in the past few years. And I don't know if we always have clean cut answers, but I do think we have a lot of hope in this story because we have a great story here of Abraham and Isaac, but I think we're missing something if we're looking at this as just kind of like an example for us. If we're looking at this story with Abraham and Isaac as merely a template for us to follow to be a good Christian, I think we're kind of missing the bigger picture here because I would suggest this story here, as epic as it is, it's actually pointing us to a greater ultimate story of faith and sacrifice that was to come. We look at verse 2 in the story where God calls Abraham, take your son, take your only son whom you love. And if you guys know the Bible, you should have had like ding, ding, ding. Oh, that sounds really familiar because that's the very language that the father uses to talk about his own son, Jesus. Your son, this is my son whom I fully love. And we should be, oh, there's a connection here. Wow. Abraham loved his son like the father God loves his son. Verse 9, where God called him and Abraham laid Isaac on top of this altar, on top of this wood. And if you know your, your scriptures, you sh- your mind should go to the idea of this, this altar of wood and go to this idea of a cross. This torture device that became a sense of worship. And thinking about the one, the son who was also placed on his own altar uh, as a sacrifice on this cross. The one that just like Isaac, he carried the wood himself up that path towards his punishment. And, And more bells should be going, oh, wow. Verse 14, and Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. And there should be something within us that says, oh, I I think I'm starting to get it. That just as Isaac climbed this mountain to be the sacrifice with his father Abraham, there was another son, the, the future Isaac, who also climbed a hill that's called Calvary and went on that thing and hung on that wood that he himself carried up there to become the sacrifice. But what we realize is that different than Isaac, where God said, no, stop it. Here's the sacrifice. Jesus went and fully was the sacrifice. He was what Lord would provide. He was a great sacrifice that God had in mind and in plan. Because this story, I, I hope you get good examples here, but it's not meant to be a good example. It's meant to point us to the ultimate hope when we and ourselves are just fall short. There is one who didn't fall short. He fully went that path. And his name is Jesus. Because here's the reality. When we look at Abraham and Isaac and people throughout the scripture, it seems like God's crushing them. And maybe you feel like God's crushing you. But as much as it may seem like at times, God is not ultimately crushing us, but his own beloved son was already crushed on the altar of sacrificial wood at Calvary. As hard as life might seem to you sometime, you can ask questions. And at our church, we will never stop you from asking real questions of why. Why is this happening like this? Why is this so hard? Why am I suffering? Why do the people I love, why are they going through? You can ask all those questions. But the one thing we can't say is because God doesn't care, because God doesn't love, because we see that his very own son received that sacrifice. 
because he was that sacrifice. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So friends, um, when it's hard to find meaning for you at various times in your life, and again, maybe some of you, maybe you're right there right now. Really hard to find meaning. And I know you come to church and you're supposed to have purpose. You're supposed to understand it all. You're supposed to say, oh yeah, but a man and a woman of faith does it. You don't feel it. You're struggling. It's hard. Life feels dark. And maybe you're at one of those points in your arc where you're real low in that story. The gospel gives meaning to every point on the story of our lives. Even when it's really difficult. Especially the more difficult ones when maybe you're being tested. I do need to say this. Sometimes tests happen when you've been totally innocent. Like you haven't done anything and you're just receiving a test. I think we can be honest and say some of the tests that you and I experience... It might be because of certain choices we've made. We've said certain things. We've done certain things. We've gone certain places. We've chosen to partake in certain behaviors. I think we can just be honest with that, right? And maybe for some of you, if you're like me, you live in a lot of regret. Maybe that's the hardest thing about coming to church because you feel, you, you're like, I don't want to go somewhere that just makes me feel about all the ways I feel I failed. You live in regret, and maybe that feels like some of the tests you're going through. But can I just share this with you? Um, I want to invite you to trust that no matter what your story has looked like until now, maybe it's been really hard. Maybe you are living in light of regret, consequences, but the gospel tells you that the arc of your story is not yet fully written. Let me repeat that. The gospel tells you that the arc of your story is not fully written. As much as your mind wants to tell you, you, this is over, you have just totally demolished this, there is no hope for you, there's no coming back from that, there's no way that relationship gets restored, there's no way you're going to be able to... As much as you might feel that, and you got to work with some of that, the gospel tells you that your story is not yet done. And I want to welcome you to believe that the author of this story, this whole big story, including your own, this author, he's good. He's trustworthy. And trust him today. So let me ask you to stand with me as our music team comes up.